Dr. Michelle Tillman was raised riding horses and showing dogs in Florida. She got her DVM from the University of Georgia in 1982 and was certified by the International Veterinary Acupuncture Society in 1984. She did two years in a small animal practice in Dallas, Texas afterwards, where she mentored with an experienced veterinary acupuncturist. Afterwards, she moved home to Georgia and established her own integrative small animal practice. She was certified in Chinese herbal medicine by IVIS soon afterwards. Dr. Tillman was certified in rehabilitation by the University of Tennessee in 2004. She served as president of the AHVMA on the board of the AAVA and as the education chair for IVIS. She was one of the founders of the AAVA as well. In 2017, she was given a Lifetime Achievement Award by the AAVA. Dr. Tillman has lectured nationally and internationally for decades. She has held an adjunct position at the Virginia-Maryland Regional College of Veterinary Medicine and was a contributor to the second edition of Schoen's Veterinary Acupuncture Text. Please enjoy this conversation as Dr. Tillman and I discuss her upbringing in Florida, her veterinary school experience, learning acupuncture soon after it was introduced into veterinary medicine in the United States, starting her own practice as a new graduate, teaching, being involved in organized veterinary medicine, and maintaining life balance. Dr. Tillman, thanks for joining me today. Thank you, Neil. It's great to hear from you guys. I'm, I'm really happy to talk to you. Hey, um, so where did you grow up? Um, actually, I grew up, I'm a native Floridian. Um, I grew up in um, the West Coast and the East Coast of Florida and grew up in the Everglades out in horse, horse area out in South Florida when it was still horse area. And um, you know, had a lot of exposure to all sorts of animals. My mom and dad also showed dogs and I rode horses. So it was kind of a, a, a great way to grow up. God, you were busy. Yes, I was busy. So was being a veterinarian, was that something that came to you early on then? Um, I wanted to be a veterinarian, my mama said, since I was five years old. I never deviated, never had any other things that I wanted to do. And back when I went to vet school, compared to now, girls weren't allowed to be veterinarians. You know, you weren't supposed to be a veterinarian because you were a girl. Um, so I definitely had it in my head that I was going to be a vet. You, you probably, I mean, as a, as a horse rider, you probably didn't have any female role models as far as veterinary medicine goes then. Um, there was, well, there was none. There was a girl that was a, a professional rider that had gotten into school a couple years before me. So there were no, we had no role models at all. It was just a different time then. It was a very different time, and I'm so glad to see it blossom to what it is now. Oh, for sure. So where did you go for undergrad? Um, I um, f went to high school, and I actually finished my, my junior year and was accepted early into a, a wonderful college called Berry College. It's up here in North Georgia, and it is 50 square miles of campus. It has a dairy. It has beef cattle. It has an equestrian program. Uh, now their biggest uh, major is animal science because they have the room and the abel availability to be able to do this type of stuff. So it was the perfect place for me to go to school. Nice. And so what schools were on your radar um, as, far as, as far as vet school? 
Um, back then, Florida had just really started their vet school. And I had maintained my, you know, I got my Georgia residency. So Georgia was on my, was definitely on my radar. Um, I think I applied to Florida, but it was like Georgia or Florida. And um, with my second try, because of clerical error, the second time I was able to get into the University of Georgia. How big was your class? Uh, we had 90, I think 90, and like 15% of us were women. Um, yeah. And most of them were men, but we had, um, we had a good class. We did have a good class. Did you, what, did you have an idea what sort of medicine you wanted to do when you were in school? Well, I never thought I'd do a small animal in my whole life um, because I had worked, um, you know, worked, I had worked beef cattle, a little dairy. I definitely was an equine person going into school and was um, interested in more large animal than small animal. And I felt more comfortable in the barn because I thought the atmosphere was more welcoming than in small animal. But because of my background with so much animal medicine, I was already looking at doing things a little bit differently because I had had an, um, one of my own dogs had Cushing's from too much steroids. So I already had an idea of looking at different things and was exposed early on to some acupuncture. And when I was in school is when the, the whole parvo, um, feline leukemia, all that started to break out. That's when it, it all came to a head. And I, I remember my own kitty had feline leukemia and I was searching for different ways to help treat her. And I really, you know, being a spiritual person, I really prayed hard and I was able to help my kitty. She lived a couple more years, but it was right around that time because I had written letters. I got uh, a flyer, like a newsletter from the American Holistic Veterinary Medical Association. And it was like the light went on and it was, it started to be my path from that time forward. And I think I was like a, a senior in vet school. So you wouldn't have had, I mean, you tell me, would you have had any faculty that or any? No, 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 okay. no, no, no. Um, right. not at all. I mean, there was just a handful of us that were, um, that were interested in it. And, um, I was able through the connections with AHVMA, which is the holistic and then IVIS to be able to start with training. And I took the IVIS class in 1982-83. I think it was the second class that was given, and it was up in Kentucky. How was that? How many people were in your class then? 25 people. Um, I think Alan took the class before me, Alan Schoen. I was the next, and I had, I mean, I had the greats. I mean, they were like my mentors. I, and I They're gone. Marvin Kane, we went to his house and to the stables with him and to the racetrack. Cletus, uh, Norman Ralston, who I eventually work for, was one of the first holistic small animal vets down in Dallas, Texas. So there was just a, a small handful of us that um, that started with the acupuncture there. So you had this idea during school. You yeah. got the brochure from HVMA. And then, so what happened after graduation? Where'd you go? Um, after graduation, I was doing um, some work around here. I went up to North Georgia to work uh, in a mixed animal practice. And at the same time, I started to commute up to Kentucky to do my acupuncture training. 
And through that, then Norman offered me a job in Texas and he was, he was not going to hear no. So he, he moved me out to Texas, um, outside Dallas. And I worked, I did like a residency with him for uh, two years, uh, two year stint with Norman in Dallas. And then I came back cause this is more home to Atlanta area and started my own practice. Wow. Okay. So what kind of practice in Texas, what kind of medicine were you doing? What sort of was it a mixed practice? No, uh, Norman did small animal. Um, Norman uh, was really uh, a good homeopath. Uh, he was he was personal friends with uh, Mishu Kushi, who started Macrobiotics. Um, Norman did acupuncture. I mean, he he was a little bit out there, you know, for that time uh, with radionics and some kinesiology. So you know, it was a total immersion. Because that's what his practice was all about was was definitely the holistic part of of medicine. That must have been an incredible experience. It was an incredible, and I, you know, to this day, thank you, Norman Ralston. What a what a wonderful man he was, and um, he just kind of paved the way. He helped pave the way for you know integrative acupuncture, holistic medicine in Texas and in the United States. You look at you know, the internship hours that Ivis requires. And, you know, it's great. It's a pain in the butt to do, but you think you had two years with this guy. Yeah, I had, it was, it, I mean, I just wanted to download his brain into my brain um, to learn as much as I possibly could from him. Now, when you moved home and started your practice, were you able to stay in touch and, and get advice? We were, we were close. We were close for a long time, but because of family things with him, we kind of drew apart. And later on in his life, we, we were able to get back together. And I was able to, it's wonderful because I was able to connect with his son, John. And when Norman departed, I was able to get, I have like his first acupuncture machine. I have his old microscope. I have his old, you know, all the stuff that meant a lot to me. So it's like I have a little Norman Ralston museum. That's amazing. How wonderful. It's, it, it, it was a gift. So that was, I mean, still coming home and starting your own practice from scratch was a huge leap. <laughs> yes. Um, I don't know how, I think I was, I've, I've, I felt like I've always been guided to do, to the, to do this type of work, the way that my life has, has, shown up, you know, everything is just shown up when it needs to. I started my, um, practice here. I had my oldest daughter. She was like eight months old in a backpack in the bank. And it was a woman banker and got a $10,000 loan and a rental space to start my own practice. Wow. 1986. Jeez. (laughs) 10,000 bucks. That's it. $10,000. I know. How did we ever do it back then? I have no idea. Yeah. So you started and you were doing integrative medicine from the, from the get go. From the get go. Um, acupuncture. I also had gone in the summers to homeopathy school to the, um, National Institute for Homeopathy, um, which I like homeopathy. It's not my, I would say I don't resonate with it like I do TCM. When I found acupuncture and traditional Chinese medicine, it put the pieces together. So Michelle, when you started your practice, you were doing acupuncture, but were you doing herbs as well? Um, yes, I started um, <clears throat> doing some Western herbs because I had already had some training because I had been a gardener and um, 
had done a lot of uh, work with the woods. But then Ivis uh, was able to put together a herb course that was a, about a three year herb course with very good uh, teachers. Dr. Shen was was there. He was one, when he first came over. Uh, Jake Fracken, um, Rob Silver, Cheryl Schwartz, um, all these wonderful people that really we delve much more into TCM um, and and Chinese herbs. That that what an all star lineup. <laughs> you don't realize it at the time, but it, it was wonderful. So how are the how are the sessions organized? Um, how did we do those sessions? Um, I think each teacher had the ability to do, do different, um, do different things, but they were more in systems, not like the herbs, like cooling herbs, uh, warm herbs. They were more done, more pathology, like looking at different pathology and how, what herbs would be good for different pathology. How many people took that class? There's probably about 20, 20 to 30. Um, I know Ed Bolt was in there. Um, Bob and Rick Schaefer, you know, the, the old group, the, the first group from Ivis. Um, a lot of us were in there. I think Cletus came. So there was, you know, the, I would say that that basic Ivis group, um, we were all learning together. Where was it held? Um, most of it was held in Boulder, Colorado, which was the perfect place to go for um to go back and forth for a couple years um because it's such a wonderful place to learn and we had such a great time out there i bet so how many days would you go for at a time we go for like a thursday friday saturday sunday and would meet two or three times a year so it it, it went on for about three years and um it was you know crammed with information and we were able to, um, you know, do some fun things like with Jake Fracken because his his clinic was there. So, Michelle, Michelle, that must have been uh, a lot of work for you as a new practice owner. You were going away for the herbal classes. I'm sure you're going to to uh, conventions. Did you just shut the practice down when you left? Um, no, I was able to find, um, you know, locum people that were able to help me um, at the time. You know, it was, you know, and also having a young family, you know, you, you, I don't know how I did it at the time, but you find that energy where you work six days a week and then it's like, it's almost like a vacation when you go to a Congress or you go to school for, for a couple days. So, um, you know, there were always, thank God Atlanta's a big place. So there's always a couple uh, people that were able to help me. Um, and some that actually did acupuncture. Oh man, that was convenient then. Mm -hmm. So I want to ask you, I know the story, but I want you to relay it for everybody. Um, how you guys formed the AAVA? Oh, the AAVA. Oh my goodness. Um, we had the realization because of business problems and everything within Ivis that uh, we had to have our own American Association of Veterinary Acupuncture. So I remember that it was when we were uh, sitting, we were in Quebec, 
and we are sitting in the bar. And I remember there was John Limehouse, Kevin May, myself, and there may have been somebody else there. I can't remember. And we started to talk about it and realized that we really needed it. So we did it on a cocktail napkin, as a lot of things happen in business, and um, named it the uh, American Academy of Veterinary Acupuncture because we wanted it to sound academic. And um, the AAVA was formed. So it was, uh, it, it came out of IVIS, but it had to be an American branch. What year was that? Oh, my. I can't even remember. It was when IVIS was in Quebec. Um, yeah. AHEMA was in Burlington. So we, you know, we, we did that whole thing. They were back to back with a couple days in between, like we used to do it. So I, whew. My gosh, I can't, I, I can't remember. Yeah, that must have been early 2000s. Mm-hmm. Okay, all right. So uh, at what point did you serve as president of the AHVMA? Hmm. We were in um, Colorado for that. Uh, I remember at being part of the AHVMA, and um, it was interesting because I was listening to Erin's um, interview before we did this when you talked to her and she said how important the clubs were to um, her at her university at Michigan State that she had gone to a couple of the sessions. And when I wanted, um, as a president, what I found is that it was very important for us to recruit veterinarian students. And my whole thing was to make sure we had a holistic club in every vet school and they got our journal um, along with Carvel because he wanted to make sure our journal got in there so that young people could be attracted to this type of medicine. That was a really, uh, that was a really great idea because uh, I think the HVMA has done that all these years and those clubs have been really good for the organization. That's for sure. That's how people like myself get introduced to it. And we, you turn on a light. I think with young people, we turn on a light. Um, a couple years ago, I had Tuskegee, um, their vet school uh, club over to the practice and we did physical therapy and we sat down and, you know, we went through all the modalities and a couple of them have gone on to take the courses and now are into, um, into practices. So I think young people are our lifeblood. Um, speaking of that, you, you kind of raised your own replacement almost, didn't you? I did raise my own replacement. Um, my, my daughter, Rosie, um, Rosemary is a, uh, practicing veterinarian. She's done the, the chi course. She's an acupuncturist and, uh, we work together mother and daughter and hopefully soon she'll be, you know, more the owner and I'll be more the employee cause I'm in my sixties. I don't think I'll ever retire but it's so amazing, uh, Neil, to see these young people because, you know, we came from ground zero and, you know, we're up here, you know, I would say, you know, we, we've come a, a bunch of plateaus. But to see these young people that have grown up with this style of medicine for themselves and have grown up knowing this type of medicine, they're going to be heads above us. Um, with the stuff that they're going to be able to do. So it's really wonderful to see Rosie um, in the practice and doing really, really well. That must have been, I mean, she obviously had a leg up having been around the practice and you and doing Chinese medicine and then going to school and going to Qi. You know, at least she had some foundation before she went. 
she had and the words. If you remember when we started into traditional Chinese medicine and acupuncture, you had to learn a whole voc- vocabulary. It was a whole new way of thinking and and words, just like we went to when you went to vet school and had to learn medical jargon. Then you had to learn how to talk normally to your clients. But um, she, you know, they they didn't have that belief process. We kind of had to prove it to ourselves that it really worked. When you're grown up in it and you know it really works, they're light years ahead of us because they don't have to go through that whole belief system thing. That is an advantage. I could see that as an advantage for sure. It's a great advantage. And it's so nice to see these young people, um, you know, take up, take up this mantle. And I'm just where vet medicine is going to go. I mean, from when I started, we, we just kind of laugh because, you know, we have dental x-ray, we have ultrasound, you know, we have digital, the beautiful digital radiographs you have, all the lab equipment. And I remember begging to do lab work. You know, and you couldn't do half the tests that we used to do. So vet medicine has come light years. And along with that, our integrative part of vet medicine, it's in the glossy magazines. It's, you know, talked about, it's it's published. It's, it is a delight to see it come from its infancy where people think I had snakes out my head in Stone Mountain, Georgia, to now regular veterinarians go, I think you need to go there because this dog needs this type of help. It is a whole different landscape, that's for sure. It really is. You know, you've been in a long time too. You've, I'm sure you've seen it too. Yeah. Now I can imagine your daughter having not only be having familiarity with the terms and the thought process and everything, but I bet she went into school, correct me if I'm wrong, but I bet she had a whole appreciation for the physical exam that maybe her fellow students didn't have. Yes. Um, her being um, my tech for a long time and knowing how to do um, all sorts of techniques and prepping for surgery and having that base knowledge, it, it definitely the vet kids that have have that base, I think, do much better. And as a new grad, they don't come out quite as a new grad. They come out with a lot more understanding and a lot better techniques. Um nice. To be able to to be able to hit the road running rather than having to learn everything from the beginning. That's nice. Now we should back up because you did rehab at Tennessee. Oh yeah, I did. I forgot. Now that was probably early on, right? When they first started to offer it. When the, I think it was the second or third year that they 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 had offered it. Um, I'd always had been interested in physical therapy, a because my own maladies and and things that that have happened to me that I always felt that acupuncture was part of the, the puzzle. You know, it was, it was a, a, a really good technique. But the problem with just acupuncture doesn't put on muscle. Um, we see so many of these animals with waist syndrome, with B syndrome, with the atrophy, and you can help them, but unless they have a motivated owner. You know, they have to be walked, they have to get up, the the stands. So physical therapy was always a super interest of mine. And when they finally were able to have a course, um, it was it was great. And they've they've improved on it. And at my practice, you know, we have a, a physical therapist and myself, Dr. Rosie's super interested in also, and we have a little gym, you know, underwater treadmill, cavalettis, we have balance balls, because you can restore function with acupuncture, but you got to get the muscle and you got to retrain the spinal tracts 
when you've got these animals that have disc injury or neurological injury and, and the old dogs that are just atrophied. I have to think that, you know, with the length of time you've been in your practice and then, and then starting to offer the rehabilitation that you're, you're uh, referring veterinarian, so to speak, you've probably got a pretty deep trust with them. I, yes, I, I feel very blessed, um, that they do trust me with their patients. Um, and they're not scared to send them. Uh, one of the big things I think that as a, you know, as a vet, especially because of location, Atlanta is a big place. I always tell them also my clients that you need your local vet. You, you I don't want to just be, your, I don't want to be your local vet. I want to do what I do best and I send you back for that type of care. So I think that's a practice tip for all of us to, if you want referrals, you got to send them back so that they trust you. They're not, you're not going to steal their clients. Definitely. Definitely. So tell me about this. I saw in your bio that you'd been an adjunct at uh, Virginia, Virginia, Maryland. Oh, that was awesome. I love doing that. Um, Mark Chrisman, who was my equine teaching partner, he's a faculty member, um, internal medicine at uh, Virginia Tech. And we had put together a complementary medicine track elective. And it, for many years, it was the highest attended elective at Virginia Tech at the vet school. Um, taught small animals, taught some uh, small acupuncture, so, uh, taught physical therapy. And then we did laboratories with them. We also, you know, brought in horses and treated students' animals. So it was about a 10-year track that I, I would go up for about a week and teach at Blacksburg. And again, this is close to my heart because so many of the young people we taught there, you know, you, they, they hear it, they take that. Eventually, either they can refer because they feel comfortable with it, but they also are get interested in it and go take the courses. So we develop develop many practitioners out of that Virginia Tech class um, that we gave. And when Mark um, decided to leave Virginia Tech, it we weren't able to keep it going because we didn't have the faculty support. But that was ten years of a lot of fun and a contact with students. I like being a professor. That's that's really great. I, I'm interested to see how things are going to progress with integrated medicine at, at veterinary schools and whether we're going to see a bigger penetration, maybe even just from client demand. They and A lot of them are doing that. Um, I don't think Georgia as much, LSU, you know, think of the good um, thing that Ron Coe, he's just left LSU, but he's got a night and they, they had an integrative medicine service there. Uh, my daughter finished her last year at LSU, and actually, Ron came in, and she had a pig patient that he actually acupunctured and helped. Um, I know that Florida does because of chi, so a lot of the schools, uh, UT has, because of the physical therapy, that's Tennessee, I'm sure some of the schools will have more as more of their professors take our courses. I'm I'm interested to see now with it's it's mind boggling, but with the AVMA finally getting around to making dentistry <laughs> a required part of the curriculum in vet school, I just think and seeing that you know they're gonna have they're not gonna be able to bring in dental specialists to do that work for the students. They're gonna have to bring in practitioners, and hopefully that'll usher in a new kind of mentality where if integrated medicine is under demand, that you know. People like you that have been in the field and really experienced people will get the, the opportunity to do that kind of teaching, which I think is great. I hope so. And, you know, 
we don't have a residency. Sports medicine, I'll say, is probably the closest um, to having a diplomat, um, you know, having diplomat status and diplomat. But uh, and a lot of those people do acupuncture. So I'm hoping as things open up, they'll they'll use us old folks <laughs> to come in and, and give words of wisdom to the students. And the other is, I think we have to be open. And I've had uh, so many um, students and, and uh, practitioners come for their 40 hours from Chi and Ivis. And I think that's where it all gets married together. They see it actually working. They see how you do it. Um, how you handle your client load, how you handle your acupuncture needles, um, to be able to to be in that type and be immersed into that type of practice. So I think all of us who are um, really do it for a, a living and have to invite and, and be willing to teach. It's uh, when I think about your experience out of school in Dallas. And I, I just really think acupuncture is one of those things where, man, if you could do an apprenticeship, so to speak, like you did, if we, we all had the opportunity to do that, just how much knowledge could get passed down. Oh, absolutely. Cause you learn by, you know, you learn by first, you have to learn, then you learn by doing, but then you have to turn around and you have to teach it to complete the whole cycle. When you did your IVIS course, what, I mean, what textbooks did you even use? <laughs> no textbooks. They were handwritten, mimeographed or Xerox, how we want to say it, uh, notes. And, you know, Cletus had notes, Norman had notes, Marvin had notes. And I mean, we didn't even learn really TCM. We learned, you know, where the points were, what these guys were were doing, what worked, what didn't. So it was much more of a, you know, find the point. And this is basically what it did. I mean, we didn't learn, I really didn't learn TCM until we started doing the ERP courses and actually had people that knew TCM to be able to teach us. I just remember back uh, being a new graduate and trying to find, having an interest and trying to find things to read. And (laughs) it was hard. (laughs) It was very hard if they weren't in Chinese, right? Um, Yeah. I, um, I remember Dr. Shea's first little book, okay, the first book. Um, and I remember he was, um, we were in Boulder and it was really cold and he had this huge suitcase that the guy was having a hard time getting out of and we were out of the, out of the van and we were kidding him and going, Dr. Shea, what's in there, rocks? And they were his books. Remember the red book came out? It was like one of the first books and Allen's veterinarian acupuncture book. I think I'm in the second edition were the only text we had. Yeah. Crazy. I mean, certainly I have, I have the first edition of the red book. It's Mm -hmm. the binding, the binding fell apart after about three months, I think. Oh (laughs) yeah. So I I wanted to ask you about that. So you, you wrote for Dr. Schoen's book. Yes. How did you man? I mean, Family practice. I mean, where did you make the time to write a chapter? Oh, um, and I, then I found out, and I always joke about it because I guess I'm Southern, and I think I have a learning thing with grammar. That English is not my first language. I don't know what my first language <laughs> is <laughs> because writing, speaking, and writing are two different things. And it, it was a labor of love, and it was on the. I had taken. Um, some courses and I loved him. His name was Deke Kendall. Um, and he's got a book called the Tao of acupuncture and it's for humans. This course, it was, I called it acupuncture engineering. 
And he turned me on. And now all the chiropractors look at all the fascial planes and the longitudinal muscle and fascial systems of, of the body and how they all interact. It's like how bladder 60 can help the back up, you know, at bladder 23 because everything's connected. And so what I did was took the human work and put it into animals. And I think Carrie Ridgway's done this. Um, Judah Shoemaker's done a lot more with horses because it made such sense about how everything is connected. It's not just point by point, but now we're talking about fascia as an organ system. And you look at, and the chiropractors have all sorts of the active release technique, which I get, do all this fascial work. So it made sense to me. So I don't know how I did it. It was a labor of love, but I'm published. It's in the book. And um, I think that it makes a lot of sense. And if people, you know, start to look at not just points, but how everything is connected, like functional anatomy, I think that's, it makes people a lot easier to understand lamenesses. It does for sure. It really does. So is there anything we should have, I should have asked you, but I didn't? I, I don't know. Um, I'm glad to, to do this with you. I, um, I've always respected you and as, as an esteemed colleague, I appreciate this. And, you know, I hope that this can go out and, and, and be able to inspire more veterinarians. Something I do want to say, because it bothers me, is that we have such a high suicide rate in veterinary medicine right now. And I think what we have to do is talk about balance, about it's okay, we're vets, we're doctors, but we're humans. And we have to learn to do a good balance between our lives and our practices. One thing that I've done um, and have uh, gotten my therapist and practitioner, it's called medical Qigong. And that has really helped me clean, helped me be balanced, helped me um, be a lot more aware of energies. And I think every one of us in our practices have to find uh, yoga, um, whatever you, you go to. You need to have a practice that you can get out of your head and you can find balance within your life. Because when things get imbalanced, things get really hard. So I think I would like to see them teach us in school more and people be more aware that we're humans first and veterinarians second. And most of us are very sensitive and we have to find a balance within our life or what happens is suicide. So for young people coming into the practice, it's, it's not about all about work. It's about fun, living your life and finding a balance. Couldn't agree more. Yes, it's Michelle. so important. Michelle, thank you. I love oh, you're you. You're welcome. Love you too. I, I respect you. I thank you for all your contributions to our little corner of the world. And all our critters. Yes. Thanks so much for taking the time to talk to me. Oh, you're welcome. I hope to see you. I hope we have a convention soon. <laughs> me too. Me too. And I'll hug okay. your neck. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. 
This podcast is made possible through the generous support of the College of Integrative Veterinary Therapies. ZIVT provides world-leading education in natural medicine, including three accredited postgraduate qualifications, industry-recognized certifications, and a wide range of evidence-based courses and webinars delivered by qualified and experienced practitioners. By bridging cutting-edge science and tradition, CIVT helps you to expand your treatment options to tackle your most challenging cases. And whether you're a veterinarian, veterinary technician or nurse, animal health professional, or someone who wants to learn more, they have the right course for you. Investigate their offerings at civtedu.org. If you're enjoying this podcast, we'd appreciate if you'd take the time to tell a friend and to give us a favorable rating on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks again for your support. We'll see you next time.